0: Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Brain Trust Podcast. My name is Adam Vass, and I'm a tabletop game designer in Southern California.
1: My name's Leaps. I'm a game designer in. Oh, I must say, Boston. Shit, I'm not there. I'm in Cabin John, Maryland, America. Adam, how's it going?
0: Uh, pretty good. Just taking it easy. I I feel like we we record on Sundays, and it's um whether I decide to work or not. Still, just like. The calmest day. Yeah, it's good. It's yeah, good energy. That's
1: the day that the big guy rested. Captain John. <laughs> Captain John, uh, I don't know shit about this guy. I bet I could make up stuff and fill the Wikipedia page. Um, you called me on Skype a few minutes ago and sent me a TikTok in the same instant and we watched it and it was about a bunch of little kids smashing some some uh cartons of milk uh and it was great. Um and then it's we so just joyful about, and
0: innocent. It's just like yeah. It it's violent because they have this crafted sledgehammer but <laughs> they're all they're doing is smashing milk cartons that they like got like the kind you get at school lunch. They do, like, three of them back-to-back-to-back. And, uh, yeah, I was just saying, I used to do that with cans of Mountain Dew Code Red and would, like, shake them up and throw them in the air and hope that they get that, like, tiny puncture to just spray Code Red in the glorious fountain. uh, And then you'd run and grab it and spray that glorious Code Red fountain into your mouth. (laughs) Some (laughs) prototypical shotgun. (laughs) It was like shotgunning before they invented gunpowder, so it was just... Newton's <laughs> shotgun. Analog analog binge drinking. I
1: feel like we were doing shit like that all the time. I used to just throw apples at walls because they would just explode. Um, Like, outside, just hucking an
0: apple at a wall. There's definitely a lot of, like, simple, uh, youthful pleasure in just destroying, like, normal things. Like, not... That definitely gets to a point where you're in your mid to late teens and you start breaking like fluorescent light tubes and stuff and yeah that's a different it's no. a different thing but just like the idea of yeah smashing an apple or a milk carton or something like no harm no foul kind of destruction
1: did you ever like microwave a glow stick or get into any chemical play mm, no uh i didn't
0: i don't think i ever put anything nefarious in the microwave i think that was pretty clearly uh something that would be off limits <laughs> like so, i guess yeah something, something that you that would uses, get caught doing
1: something that uses nuclear force is not anything i want to touch
0: yeah i think part of part of the options list of destructibles as a youth is what will i not get in trouble for
1: what can be easily bought at a grocery store yeah to th- i used to just break pencils as a way to express anger if i was
0: doing homework it was like i'm allowed to break pencils this <laughs> is it did you ever make like uh the like spitball guns out of mechanical pencils and oh wow because there's, in- there's uh, a spring mechanism inside that lets the the graphite out and you could do this like reverse engineering of taking all the parts of this is how Iron Man built his suit in the first Iron Man. <laughs> you take all the parts and you like reposition them and redistribute them into the same like chassis, and then all of a sudden you have the the clip part that would go in your pocket became the um like hammer that you would pull back and it was spring loaded, and then whatever like little ball of paper you would put into the pencil tube, the plastic casing that was your ammo, and you would pull the the thing back in the spring would then like launch your projectile.
1: So it became uh, kind of a a fun idea, and then the more you described it, the more alarming <laughs> the mechanics of a gun became. I was uh, doing some like research for Torque because I was trying to you know think about it, like what gun would each character have, what kind of gun would they have, and I was like, what about a caseless rifle that looks like a low poly PS1 upgrade weapon. Or what about a 3D printed gun? And I just started reading about the 3D printed gun case where, I mean, basically you, if you are, this is in serious mode. I've switched over to serious mode. Um, It's a way to get around, like, gun bans uh, where you can buy every other piece for a gun minus the firing mechanism. And you can 3D print that. Uh, And then I've read that article before and I knew that guy went to jail and everything. Um, and i was like this game's not gonna have guns in it this is just how it's gonna be now like i don't need a gun um happening here and just hearing just the uh you know some games work really well with guns guns and gun and guns and slingers for example <laughs> by devin holmes um but uh, yeah it just it was really refreshing to make that choice. So that, I was just like, "Don't need it."
0: That's really interesting because that's what I was actually brainstorming this morning for cyber metal. Is yeah, uh, I think a lot of like near future and definitely far future game settings expect that guns are in use, right? And I've never come across a mechanic in a game that made guns feel. Neat or like ha- have me wanting to engage with them in any way. Um, in yeah. addition to the fact that I already don't want, like you said, like the culture or like the just like gun mentality,
1: you can bring you can inadvertently bring some gun nut energy to your game. So, a gun nut is someone who nuts
0: for guns. I was, <laughs> I was gonna put this in the lab actually and just like brainstorm, like, how to how would you make a gun feel. Like, a, like a, how would you make a shooting mechanic in a game that's not just, like, roll to hit and then just do immense right. damage? Because that's the weird thing about guns in in, in tabletop. And it's uh, hard to tell, too. Like, there are guns, obviously, in real life, and then guns in movies are t- treated in a myriad right, of yeah. ways. Like, you either have the yeah. John Wick style, like, you can get shot a hundred times and kind of just keep walking, or
1: Right, or like a no country for old man or a, like a Blue Ruin or whatever. Yeah. Where you're just uh hit and then you're totally obliterated, you're dead you're extremely dead. And both of those um, seem
0: unsatisfying in a in a game space.
1: Um The thing about the those Jeremy Soloner movies, B- Blue Ruin and Green Room and uh stuff like that, it makes the violence and the gunplay extremely disgusting. Yeah. Which I really like. Yeah, it's hyper um, hyper I think, real. Yeah, so a game like Unknown Armies has uh, just, it has this normal way of fighting where you roll um, 2d10, you roll 1d100, and you add up the numbers. That's how like a normal knife roll works or something. And then you take the hundreds, you take the expression from 1 to 100 for guns. Um, And if you crit, you know, if you get double digits, you instantly kill or something like that. Um, but there's also uh, Viditia Valetti's Shotgun Combat, which I is a game that only exists in the mem- remembrance of a playtest. Like,
0: have, have you heard about this? I, I sort of remember, but I'm going to lean on your ex- explanation of it. So is,
1: I barely know either, and I think that's the point, that Viditia ran this game where you roll a ton of d6 at the beginning, and that's every shot that you shoot during the game. And then you play the game based on that. And this is a now a third-hand... Is this the only... I mean, beyond Twitter, this, this is, is a the... Oh, yeah, this is a folk tradition. Yeah, this is the folk tradition. I mean, that's... Like we're talking about, you know, smashing the milk and uh, apples and making a gun. <laughs> um, there's a lot of uh, good playground energy plus, like, oral tradition to bring into game design. Um, and... I don't. I don't have a connector between that and like what a satisfying gun thing is, but I do think you have an interesting problem with uh, cyberpunk um, gun stuff because I feel like the cyberpunk video game is very into the kind of Call of Duty weed leaf on a gun paint job yeah. situation, and uh, to some extent, which that is, shit cool. is fun. yeah. But there, sci-fi does it pretty cool by just having like a gun that is so dangerous that only a couple people can have it, and it just makes other forms of guns um, just not existing.
0: Like the cricket in Men in Black. Yeah, exactly.
1: Um, I think Viditia just tagged me in something on Discord, and it felt felt wild. Are you listening right now?
0: So, my current workaround is to do what you do and say there aren't guns. And uh, just as a little tease as the current development of cyber metal, um, it's, it's very Matrix inspired in that like you can kind of manipulate space. The idea is that your consciousness is a frequency like a wow. song would be and you can turn your volume up or you can play it backwards or like basically like record play style manipulation to the frequency that is reality and that's so cool and so my excuse (laughs) right now is that because um so also that cyber metal is at least right now i'm calling it cyber metal 2021 because i really like the idea of releasing a future game in the current day like cyber cyberpunk 2020 Um, that's awesome So, But my timeline diverges 40 years ago, so there's still quite a bit. Oh, nice. It's quite different than, obviously, our current day, but there's technological advancement that's kind of on that level. It's not Star Wars.
1: I'm doing almost the same thing for for Torque, which is in the 70s it diverts. And I I
0: think that's—I told Adam B., too, as Adam was working on the YouTube series of, like, an ongoing— development, which is really great, and everyone should should be tuning in. go watch that.
1: Yeah. Uh, You can find it through Adam's Twitter um, and just Adam Bell. I think it's adamebell.itch.io. You can find all that stuff. It is like one of my favorite things in game design, period.
0: But I find that, and this was a a brief topic in the Discord today, too, uh, of just saying, just offering a timeline and not necessarily defining the events on that timeline is totally adequate to be like this is different now
1: <laughs> yes uh in torque i uh right so uh torque is a driving game that ostensibly takes place in a post-apocalyptic world um in 2020 where whatever happened started happening in the 70s um but i uh know that lots of people just don't even want to fucking touch that stuff uh so it the only like in-game or in-text description is that the world uh the world went weird gone sour and then you can spend um resources in the game to establish the nature of the apocalypse or to dig further into it um and i was just thinking today that like using photography to um instate you know what happened so you you know once you Find a location and you take a Polaroid of it, uh, you can then establish some details about it. So some somewhere that you can also go back that is also a place that tells stories and
0: things like that. I, I like that. I'm, I'm approaching it as more of like a canon history yeah. that I get to flesh out, but I don't have to flesh out before launch. So mine starts in the 80s with the Satanic Panic being real, obviously. Beautiful. Um, Beautiful which culminates in in the ritual sacrifice of the president on live tv. And Oh. <laughs> and so you have a lot of like pop culture like t- tv and music being uh made more important by its role in history and not just yeah. pop culture history but actual history. And then the world spl- like the timeline splits from there. So 40 years after that, how does technology change? How does geopolitics change and everything and i'm not going super urban either i think that's a, a thing that makes my game distinct in the in the cyberpunk overload that's happening um i'm going with like there's a city but it's not it's like grand Rapids size it's not it's not oh, cool. metropolis um yeah but,
1: like what would the matrix look like if it was in the black forest or something like right that? it, that's it, super it doesn't cool. have to
0: be new york city uh like crazy overcrowded and that sort of like high rises and stuff. So subway, the thing that I wanted to, to circle back the way that I'm explaining away guns is that once everyone learned about this frequency manipulation, it was just extremely easy as Neo in the matrix to just say like, Oh, this bullet just passes between two waveforms. doesn't hit my nodes. Yeah. And so wow, it just goes right through. So bullets basically are made irrelevant. You need too low tech. You need like slower weapons or um, to just catch where the the wavelengths, like, meet. Oh, meet. yeah,
1: like, that's, like, in Ava, the progressive knife, and, which is the coolest weapon from anything. Which is a better
0: analogy when I was going to say when you have a bat and you can't hit it with, a, like, a, a real bat, <laughs> like the flying animal. Um, <laughs> You can't hit it with a solid thing because it can see it coming, but you could hit it with a tennis racket or a or bicycle wheel because the, its detection, like, goes through the... You can
1: hit a bat with
0: a bicycle wheel. Hey, I've seen it done. <laughs> what the fuck? When I lived in a squat and we we had oh. like four or five people living in the attic that we weren't supposed to have access to, so... You're professional bat killers. We basically weren't allowed to like have lamps or lights, so like when the sun went down, it was just dark up there. And naturally, there were bats fairly often, Um and I was very scared of bats. I still am probably, but... Uh, you descend from Van Helsing. This is clear. Someone, we we all were like we all rode fixies back then, so we all just had bike parts everywhere. And I remember there being a bat one night, and a friend who was in in the room, like put on his raincoat and a gas mask and had like <laughs> truly post-apocalyptic wares, <laughs> and just grabbed a, a like a freewheel and s- started swinging it because the bat the sonar or whatever it uses to detect where it's going would go through the spokes of the wheel, but then it would just get rocked by the, by getting hit with a spoke. And, uh, because you can't just like hit it with a hockey stick, which is also something I've seen done. Um, (laughs) but it takes a lot more tact. I have a lot of bat stories, but this is just, just one for now. Imagine Neo
1: queuing up a slap shot to kill agent Anderson. (laughs)
0: Wait, that's he, not a, Mr. Who's Agent Hugo Smith. Leaving? He is Mr. A- Agent Smith. Neo is Mr. Mr. Anderson. Mr. Anderson, but that's his dead name. Like he is Wes Neo. Anderson.
1: Yeah, I'm Neo. You're right. You're right. I fucked up.
0: It's okay. I mean, he does. Agent Smith does it to neg him the whole time. Like he will never that's call shitty. him Neo. That's really shitty um, from him. Just watched the whole he trilogy, would. and it's fresh on my mind. And I got a very a very good Matrix long sleeve tee for Christmas. That came with a clipping of the film reel from Matrix Revolutions, so it's like so cool. Seven frames of the sh- the is ship. your
1: favorite member of uh, Morpheus's gang?
0: Uh, honestly, probably Morpheus.
1: Yeah, he's cool, huh?
0: He's the John Locke of the Matrix, where <laughs> he just puts all of his chips on believing that that his what he believes is is. Reality or is the truth, right? Like Neo has to be the prophesized one because if he's not, then like everything I'm doing is kind of fucked up and stupid.
1: Um, I'm just looking up I like Cypher. Cypher is the uh guy with the goatee who sells the gang out loves steak, movie. yeah. He loves steak and he's he's sitting in the restaurant eating it, and he's like, I can't even tell I can't even tell if it's real or not. Uh there's a good picture of Cypher
0: smiling that I like to use for I, whatever. I like that actor a lot. He's also um the antagonist in Memento. Oh wow.
1: Yeah, Joe uh Pantoliano.
0: Uh anyway.
1: Cypher Oh yeah, so how you explain the way guns is made guns irrelevant and uh you can still have, you know, the cool tactical weird cool violent stuff. In Torque, um I am making a safety tool that is the rules of the road that each that each group makes and then signs, and that's how each player is licensed. So like having this license means that you're a part of this class of driver that doesn't do that does things and doesn't do other things like you can determine whether or not you want a lot of pvp play by doing this thing on your driver's license or you could say um we only help each other and we help as many people as we can or we're out for uh our own benefit whether or not it hurts people around us one of those things will just be no guns um and then you can add a bunch of other uh, safety aspects like lines and veils, or having an X card built into that, or whatever it is. But it's just part of this uh, basic this licensing to play. So like without this license, you can't play. Um, so it's a way to incorporate that safety tool and like guns as a topic. So having diegetic like topic elements included or disincluded, it's a it's really fun to design that way Um, i'm just like creating an actual
0: driver's license and registration right now i was just gonna say i like the idea that maybe like in a print edition you could just use like a business card printer and print these like little licenses that you write on and like you could draw your your character portrait on and like have a tactile driver's license that also is game relevant
1: Exactly. Um, and it's like the personal character information that you don't necessarily need at the table all the time. right? And so a little bit of the lore of Toric is that there, there are no new licenses made after the 70s. So whatever happened is with that. So your license is handed down through a lineage of drivers. And so your license will be um, fully worn and scuffed up and changed and added to. So it will have the, the skeleton of like this you know, classic 70s driver's license but with a bunch of stuff clipped in and like physical changes to the license or things where people crossed out their names or
0: how many uses this license has had yeah that sounds really cool i like yeah so do you want to uh segue into your your oh yeah because i feel like that's it that's great (laughs) um
1: well uh we're about to take a break, but later on this episode we're gonna talk about um, using game texts and artifacts of the setting that the game text is expressing, sort of like what I just described. Um, in uh, in our in our games. I think we're both doing things that can really benefit from that, like cyber metal coming from this alt eighties hell future and torque coming from this like uh, deep fried seventies into twenty twenty. Oh that's going to be so cool. We're going to really kind of choke slam. Yeah. I just have to I just stuff. have to do it. <laughs> All right, I got let, to do let's it too. Do... Anyway, we'll break
0: Watched Sound of Metal yesterday. Have you seen that yet? What is that? Oh, it's um this movie on Amazon Prime that is very good. It would have been like one one of those like award seeker indie movies this year if it was in theaters. But um, Raz Ahmed, I think is his name, is the lead, and mm. he's a drummer. Yeah, Riz Ahmed. Yes, he's a drummer in a two piece metal band. Wow. Um, who has extreme hearing loss like like they're playing a show and he walks out because he can't hear anymore uh oh my god and then the rest of the movie is about that like he and and the woman who's in a band with him uh, are both addicts or were I, i don't know the right way to they're they're not like they're recover in recovery that's it um so he goes to like a specific community for addicts who are hearing impaired Mm. and most of the movie is is that um just coping with loss of hearing and then that's amazing he's kind of all the while wanting to do something to regain that hearing ability um so he learns about the these the cochlear implants which are real things and they're Mm-hmm. They, they bypass your ear bones so that you're, you're hearing. It the, the the doctor in the movie describes it as the illusion of hearing because your ears aren't working anymore, but there's signals yeah. being sent into your brain by these implants. And and they go in the ear canal, but there's also a surgery, and he has these like things on the back of his skull, like two nodes, one by each. Oh,
1: okay, yeah,
0: and so. <laughs> this is a long way to get there, but I'm thinking in cyber metal, you, those exist and they're like Ram horns. So you have people who are like, I can hear it's like a, in the matrix, the people are looking at the screens and it's just green text, but they're like, I know what this means. Um, yeah, I think that the devil horn, uh, additions are like, yeah, I can hear the frequencies of of reality, like with these badass devil skulls
1: that, that rules so fucking hard. It's also something that like would be really fun to draw. Yeah. And if that's like kind of like an abstracted hit point thing, that like when you get frequency scarred, you have to remake your horn or something like that. Yeah, I, that's
0: a uh, that's really neat. Um, it's one of those things where I like didn't know it existed, and then learned about it, and I'm like, it might. I want. I need to get a sensitivity person on this, but. I like the idea of this tech that really does exist being warped yeah. for this extremely, like, grim metal bullshit fun time reason.
1: It also does seem to get a lot away from the Markborg trappings.
0: Yeah, I think figuring out what my characters do is still on a high on my priority list. But my real big problem, which was sort of a thing I wanted to talk about but I don't think it has legs just like managing what projects you want to do and what you need to do and because doing cyber metal and babes in the wood at the same time is extremely dissonant in in my head <laughs> yeah. it, couldn't, it couldn't be more difficult to juggle those two like I've juggled games before but they're not they're not in the same realm at all
1: polar opposites
0: and in a way it's nice because when I have like a nice time idea. Oh, that goes into babes. And when I have like a brutal idea, I'm like, oh, that's cyber metal. That's obviously. I've been meaning to
1: ask, how are you uh, figuring out how to get guns into babes?
0: <laughs> I, so when I was thinking of putting the discussion in the lab to see how people treated guns mechanically, I was going to be like, I have a question about guns. It's not for babes, <laughs> like, because <laughs> that's the thing that. I've made clear that this is what I'm working on, but obviously there are no guns. There's not even really magic in it.
1: You know, gun wise, we're getting away from the topic. I don't even know if we're on the episode or not, but, um, (laughs) what is an
0: episode? Really?
1: What is an episode? We're going to do a hard reset next episode. Just you wait. Um, but the way that into the odd does, uh, hurting damage and stuff like you always hit, and you just roll to see how much. Um, that is like a, because like shooting a gun is a choice, you know. And just saying, like, being like, "Gun is on. I am shooting gun. Rolling dice to hit you, hurt you. Like I am always gonna hit you." And we just see how many of these bullets hit you or whatever.
0: Yeah, you know, I, like how do you how do you I, get I,
1: into the my scariness? Whatever. Yeah, an
0: issue I have with that too is wanting to use. So in the this in this timeline that has a physically destructured government system like basically after the sacrifice there's this huge war that lasts for years across the world of basically just like the devils versus the people who are trying to resist them um and it just like ravages the whole world and then it reprioritizes what technology is developed and that's my main thing of like if we're at war they're developing weapon systems but if the demons can like not be hit by bullets then the weapons that they design are deliberate against their foe right like like in independence yeah. day they're building ships that are that can go to the mothership um yeah and Uh, so with that destabilization of central government, I think the economy reflects that. And I think there's not, there's no dollars. So I really want to have just a debt system. Um, and, but I, I really am avoiding how, how much I can just lift from Bastion Land, which starts your characters in debt and that's your, your story hooks.
1: You do that like Justin Timberlake movie where your debt appears above your head. I like that the time, ton- that kind of shit.
0: Yeah. Um, also, have you started playing Griftlands yet? No, not yet. That's a major thing in it. Is is there's debt, but you can like trade someone else. Like if some if you owed me a favor and uh, I'm asking for a favor for someone higher up, I'd be like, oh, I'll just give you Will's contract that I have, and then you don't owe me oh, anymore. Cool. You owe them. So at a certain, like, you kind of, one, there's a trading system that I think is really interesting um, economically because, you know, like, if I gave you bus fare, that's not the same as I need someone killed. (laughs) Um, Right. But at certain points, like, certain debts are worth trading just circumstantially.
1: It's also, like, a thing you could reasonably expect to happen in a horrible world. like, Like, we're already just, like, you know, ravaged by capitalism. But what if it was just like <laughs> the most comically, like I'm a debt collector, which means I'm the richest person alive. Like loan yeah. sharks become landlords. Like that hey, was also,
0: the a, a, um, I washed them up. It's Christmas Carol and just thought about Scrooge is a money lender. And I'm like, yeah, you're bad. <laughs> that so guy. that's like an archetypal villain. That's really good and easy. And that's also kind of like Jabba the Hutt or something like, People who don't necessarily get their own hands dirty, but they're extremely powerful just in their ability to mitigate who owes who what. But I think too, just like a pointless, or a, not pointless, but like, absent of points. (laughs) Um, Economy system is is interesting in a game that's new. Because everyone's used to, I have X gold and I can buy Y item with that, like, right like
1: it starts from a place of bartering like this has no inherent value and then you just can like build the opposite of like elegant numbers like you just have tons and tons of fucking numbers and then like yeah i mean that's like a cool way to show the like true meaninglessness of debt and that
0: and i there was a news article recently about a guy who like hacked into the um, food stamps program and just approved everybody who was pending and gave them like $2,000 of credit and food stamp money. God bless. And that made me think of that too like if this debt system is at all in a digital space, like if these debt collectors are keeping records online, then you can hack them and access them and manipulate them.
1: I mean, there is your player activity is abolishing debt and that's just like a great core activity that you just everywhere people have debt and you can just go to a town and then start just whittling away and bringing everybody to zero. And that's like considered, um, you have like put it in the black, like getting towns in the black or something like that. It sounds exactly like the kind of awesome matrix shit with a socially and class conscious, like player activity is super
0: cool. Yeah. I think too, that brings in, this like punk element that was missing from my design theory of just like, okay, they or they're going to have exo suits and like cool power. Like it's very and power. <laughs> <laughs> they're all horns. Like it's very power driven. <clears throat> and that's a theme that I still want to be present because that's the metal thing. Like how, how powerful you are is a measure of your value in society, but that power can mm. be literal or figurative. Um, And then, like, what do you do to get more? And I was kind of, I'm straying away from, like, implants and stuff. I'm really excited by integrating, like, analog tech into the cyber theory. Because, again, one of the main things I wanted is, like, playing records backwards to summon demons. Like, the idea that your consciousness, instead of being, like, uploaded to the internet, you could be etched into, like, a wax cone. And then someone could just play that wax cone back at the right place at the right time with whatever like demonic power or ritual power. And then you just exist again.
1: Yeah. your your one time use things are cassettes that will explode upon use, but you can get out the frequency. Yeah. Like
0: flexes, like records that play, but they don't sound good. They degrade over time. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's super cool.
1: Fuck. I'm putting a, um, cassettes in torque to have, a goal for the players that doesn't involve killing the other cars it's so, like you got to get in and get the cassette nice. this is your favorite record like <laughs> that you hear um yeah wow cyber metal is gonna be super cool i think you might find a lot of good um kind of clash con class clash consciousness there's your chapter heading right there but uh the the game red markets um which is a yeah. economic horror zombie thing
0: I I liked so I had the quick start and I thought there were some good ideas but I think it's just too crunchy for me. Uh, Definitely,
1: it is a like a 450 page book.
0: Yeah, and obviously the quick start is is not that right. Like it's it's designed yeah. it's not designed with all the information. It's just enough to play. But then with that you're you're missing large chunks of like why, and and sometimes how. Um, I didn't keep it. I I've, <laughs> I, I sold it when I moved, but. Uh, Anyway, I mean, I think we just leave all that in. These these are open development theory. Both, I mean, both of what we're working on, there's a lot of parallels and there's a lot of really cool novel distinctions. Um, But I think you can really boil it down to like alt history, integrating these things that are important to us as people who kind of exist outside of mainstream culture insofar as like records and... uh, I mean, just, like, the punk <laughs> debt stuff. The punk, right. The, the punk ideology Plus, of living outside of... Living in a counterculture and integrating that into these games that are inherently counterculture. Uh,
1: I think, like, focusing on debt and the wiping away of debt is also a way to put in optimism in what is otherwise a... Yeah. You know, a, an aesthetically really grim thing. But you can
0: still have stories of, like, success and happiness happening. Yeah, that was a thing I was... Struggling with because I have all these Ideas too like you have um, Different Like ways to bring in different types of Metal into the setting because obviously oh, cool. Metal is extremely diverse to s- Just in the same way that punk is Or any kind of genre mm-hmm. But like To say that you have like stoner Metal in it would be different than Having like black metal which I think right now Is kind of my main Focus so I want to have like yeah. These kind of like druidic um, like nature they the protectors of what's left of nature that's been after society was really ravaged um and they kind of have a different approach to like what is power and how to protect things and what they do and with that too because I want this to be a, a living game these are modules that I can release later like oh cool yeah you do your power metal module or like your like fashion metal even just like different yeah. kinds of approaches and they can be either different character classes or different like sub settings and I also really like the idea of doing cyberpunk does this a little bit of just saying like cyber metal 2021 is my core but what what is cyber metal 1991 look like cool so just yeah uh you know 30 years prior the same setting but you get to flesh out some of the lore and you also get to play in that
1: and having that I'm finding like the design challenge of like making a game that is meant to be expanded on in subsequent editions instead of designing a whole game. Right. It's hard. I'm focusing so much on the game just has to be really fun to play. I mean, there's no getting around like you can play a effective story game that makes you feel a lot and it can not be that great but it can still have a huge profound effect on you you know i I think a lot of us have had experiences like that yeah where like you looked past some of the blemishes on the play of a game because it was really good um a game can be really good and not very good um but to ask someone to come back a bunch is uh is a lot like I'm I'm gearing up to start playtesting torque uh this episode comes out on Tuesday this week so I want it to be really fun to play and I will spend as much time getting it to be fun before putting out the first thing
0: yeah I think that's a good point too of the modular idea only works really well if you can sustain interest and that sustainable interest comes from your first impression really right i i get into
1: this place with this game and games in general i was like is any role-playing game really fun or do i play it because i like them like what's the fun factor here yeah I mean, you like, can definitely
0: like right because obviously being with four friends is fun right that's the that's the game a lot of for, the time
1: Four friends tennis rackets hitting bats in the dark attic like
0: like I remember playing a lot playing the cipher system game not enjoying the the mechanics of it at all and still having a really great time because it was me and my friends exploring this fiction and that's cool or or when we played into the world that fantasy flight RPG. Uh, Again, I did not like the system. The game's not great but but it's like such a good sell otherwise. Yeah, yeah, just playing as yourselves in the place that you are plus aliens is like, uh, that's really fun. It it brings, like you said earlier playground energy to the the role playing experience and then even thinking to playing Dungeons and Dragons for four years right, of the same campaign and that was pretty much explicitly made fun by the people I was with and having yeah. played that same exact game with people I don't know as well is not fun. I have had those <laughs> and, I, and it's like mechanically there's nothing different. Thematically there's nof- nothing different. It is just the un- undefinable like ethereal aspect of who's here, what's everyone's like attitude, right? like how our frequencies are are lining up together (laughs) to you you roll on the NBC reaction table (laughs) (laughs) and see how the game's gonna go like you said you can have a great time playing a bad game and you can have a bad time playing a great game because the game itself doesn't dictate the time that you have
1: yeah um I was explaining torque to my mom it just to that that's like a level of playtesting that I uh, should ask everyone to do which is explain your role-playing game to peg yopes to my mother um, because like sh- you know she's none of the background and will ask any question that she has which is really key i think uh, i'm the kind of rules reader that like no matter if i'm listening or paying no attention i'll be like yeah i got those rules absolutely i'll figure it out like <laughs> i'm good Um, Thankfully, I haven't been in like a board game cafe recently where I've had to uh, really bluff like that. Like I knew what was going on. Um, But uh, yeah, she just was asking me like, you know, what if someone isn't driving with all of this and they have a bad time? Like how how do you deal with that? Um, You know, what if someone's not getting it? And then I just had to tell her that like I don't make games for people that aren't interested in getting it. Yeah, there's buy-in.
0: I mean, that's what like player buy-in is—is wanting to get it. And with because I'm I'm not making
1: a game that's being played in a comic book store by strangers who are new to the game, I don't, I don't really have to make it um, as focus-tested good. Like it can be a little gritty and have weird stuff in it.
0: So that's what I was just gonna say too. I think um, that player buy-in for role-playing games is coming to the table with these metaphorical first aid kits of band-aids yeah. to say yeah I want this and this and this so we're going to make that happen and if I have to you know put a band-aid on this rule because it's less it's not necessarily defined all the way or if we want like you said with the driver's license to curate this if we do want guns right like
1: yeah
0: that's a different game it's supported in a way by your structure, but this kind of comes down to this like weird meta discussion that takes place of like, what is the game play? And I think for these trad games, you, you give someone a a nudge and generally, especially with our stuff, it's aesthetic, it's thematic. Um, Mm -hmm. and then you trust that, that spirit of wanting to play in that established aesthetic and, and theme um, yeah. is enough that they will, and they as players or like we as players, that's all we need to go. Even thinking about when we played open world a couple weeks ago, um, it was ex- it was in bare bones rules text state pre-release, you know. But we all came wanting to have that experience that the game right um, pitched at us. And so, yeah, we made it happen regardless of how much the rules actually think made it happen for us. But that's what our, that's what RPGs are. And I think too, that's to, to bring it back to other recent discourse, why playtesting testing is um, not always necessary. And sometimes it is because yeah. by the nature of what we're making, you're trusting the audience to trust their own like instincts and drive to have the experience they want to have.
1: Right. That that gets into the question of like, whose responsibility is it for the group to have fun? And yeah. like a GMing tip I learned really early, which is that if people are having fun at the table, you're doing a good job. That's it. That's like the one rule. Don't, don't divert from the having funness and, Rules in RPGs just dictate the kind of conversation we have and what we're talking about.
0: I have a really, I have a good analogy for this. You know, when you're at a wedding and there's a photo booth and outside the photo booth is like a table of props and there's like a cowboy hat and some big goofy glasses. (laughs) Yeah. Um, the, The game master is, is the person who bought the props and the players are the people who take the photos. And, like, okay. you could easily go into the photo booth and have fun and take funny pictures with no props, but, like, if I put out just Western items on the table as yeah. the game designer, then you go in there with two hats and you do, like, a quick-draw, like, photo series over, the, you know, the four-frame four, f- four frame photo strip, you, you act out the scene of doing a, a showdown at high noon. Like, I gave you the tools but you made that you made that scene you made that fun
1: mm, totally yeah that, that's a really good way of explaining it and while you're while you were saying that I thought that like wow people have lots of fun playing games that I do not like
0: yeah <laughs> like I mean there's, that, that's there's a, also that's different a, kinds of fun Like, yeah um, fun but,
1: is a really bad way to anybody that has like studied game design
0: classically speaking like Bach did. Right, I was um, I was just
1: <laughs> You don't talk about fun in that term, but I think we know what we're talking about here.
0: Yeah, just kind of like joy and uh yeah, it's, it's different obviously than like a competitive game is fun in a different way or strategy games are different are fun in different ways. Right. Because they yeah, they're they're itches that you need different scratches or but you might get more than one. You might have one that particularly like excites you or works um the spot on your leg that you itch and then your leg starts kicking.
1: <laughs> yeah, I am a dog. Uh the thing I think why playtesting is great is because you can ask the question, is this game fun and know for yourself the answer. Yeah. Yeah, well, I think that's
0: valuable. I mean you can do that yeah. after release and go, well, nope. <laughs> nope, not <laughs> like, so fun. Oh, I made this game and it's not that fun. Um and I think that's again fun fun is hard and and ethereal because i think about games that are sad or games that are uh more dramatic in that way and like they can yeah. th- that's obviously a different kind of fun too so they can be effective they can they can accomplish their goal in a way that is still difficult to understand um if i were to like you know give a post play on a sad game be like was it fun my gut would be no, but, like, if I did have the experience and it, the experience was valuable, that's, you know, not on paper fun, but it was what we're after. Yeah, is accomplishing it, was, it was a its great goals. way to
1: spend two and a half hours. Like. Right. Yeah, it's just something that, like, when you are deep in the woods of game design, which I think you are often now, yeah. you kind of can't see out. And so you have these, like, anxiety-based questions that are like, it's this thing I'm spending so much time on, is it even anything?
0: That's um, my big uh, fear of of Babes in the Wood, because having played Babes 1, it was tons of fun. It was super fun. And the thing I come back to often is just role-playing games where you act as kids are often yeah. really fun, because, again, you go in as a player with the attitude of, like, I get to be 10 years old, and that's a blast. Um and then I'm like oh does it need a second edition if the first one's fun I'm I'm obviously like refining it and I'm better at design but one of the major reasons I wanted to do it was to eliminate the combat system because it just doesn't make sense that such a thing exists Yeah. but like I can remember having played it you know three years ago and doing a fight in an alley with a skeleton where we like just hit him with a broom until its bones came apart (laughs) that shit's very fun (laughs) I was
1: also wondering if you were going to revise the sniping rules from Babes in the Wood.
0: <laughs> yeah, the, the blast damage is, is different.
1: <laughs> the, the massive damage. <laughs> <laughs> Shit. Um, you know, we didn't talk about artifacts at all, but I don't care. We talked about something great.
0: Yeah, I mean, very rarely do we come in with a plan anyway, and then the theme yeah. or topic kind of emerges through play.
1: Uh, yeah, we can we can just save that for another week. It's something that we talked about in our one of our early conversations, but it's a, it's a little bit different. Um yeah, you know, I like playtesting a lot. Playtesting's not necessary. Don't listen to anybody that says your game cannot be a piece of art or a product or anything like that. Um, cuz they're just revealing more about themselves than about you or your design. So,
0: yeah, that's that's true of all Art, really too just like yeah people who write songs like the the exterior value that is um placed on that of like how it's made available to its audience whether that's through a record label or like physical printings like records and stuff versus tapes like they're like you said there, there's no inherent value to doing it in different ways or or a lack of value in doing it in a different way um It's the whole, the whole thing is you are making it. That's Mm -hmm. what, that's what your exercise is as an artist. And that's what a lot of the time, like obviously having, um, feedback and having engagement with the audience beyond just composition and release is interesting and a lot of the time valuable, but it's not inherent to any kind of artistic medium. Right. Exactly. Exactly.
1: I think we, it's kind of settled on that, like, reading a game is playing a game, and playing a game is playing a game. Like, the way we engage with these things is not as concrete as, like, I have fully played this thing, or I fully experienced this thing, because um, how can you fully experience a photo booth with a cowboy hat on the outside?
0: (laughs) I mean, I'm thinking, too, of, of, like, I read Monster Hearts 2, and I've never played it. I've played Gamma World one, and I've never read it, and I don't even know how it works. And then on the between those two ends of the spectrum, Lord are, knows how are, Gamma World are. Plenty works. of things I've read, plenty of things I've played, some things I've done both, and some things I've done neither. And I still can get value from them. Um, like even de- yeah. just the idea of like having bought a game that's on my shelf that I haven't read that still has value to me as a yeah as a person engaging with the medium whether it's just looking at the pictures, whether it's just being a collector, like all of those pre- presume a different kind of value.
1: Right. And this is something that is all over like music performance too. But if anybody's trained to sell you a system on how to work on stuff or how to make your thing, it's always going to be bad. Um, it's not going to be right for you. So just finding out how you yourself engage with that kind of stuff. And like, for me, that means I am very my like game reading diet is very particular like if i am reading something to learn it i will go in a huge deep dive through it and like go for memorization while i don't read that many games in general
0: and so that's kind of how i approach that aspect and yeah my new thing is is going in with highlighters and sticky notes and like yeah. writing in the margins and like full-on I, I haven't I feel like I I tell myself I will do that. Like I have this book on my shelf, uh, the Rune RB, RPG, which I think was a video game. Um, hmm, it's Vikings, I think. Uh, sounds right. And it's semi-competitive, so you're like you're a team, but you're also working towards this like individual goals of I think probably kill count or something like that, because it's very '90s looking. And I'm like, this book doesn't have any value. I got it for like $2 at a used bookstore. Um, why would I not write in this or, or like highlight things I like? Um, the only thing that stops me is the sort of like resale person. Like when I just sold right. all my Dungeons and Dragons books, I'm glad I didn't write in them. But I did have sticky notes all fucking in there to like highlight things that I thought were important or interesting and then can move things around. And, and like, I so that's my new thing is physically interacting with A games text to to and then i think too that makes it easier for future reads i am not a read cover to cover person usually unless it's you know a zine but um i
1: will i will read a game cover to cover and then revisit sections that i can't recall like i did that with apocalypse world second edition where i just brought it on the train every day for two weeks and just memorized the game
0: (laughs) I like that I'm basically effectively creating a rules reference as I go through it.
1: Yeah, like I tagged it up and I was like, okay, how do fucking, how do guns work in this game? What is the, how do you get the maestros, the maestrodies like house or whatever? Yeah, Um, that, doing that will make you way better at making a rules reference than any other aspect of RPGs.
0: Yeah, I've been doing it a lot. For babes' stuff, too. I've shared some pictures in the Discord of my sticky note covered zines, like printing out Patchwork World by Aaron King and highlighting moves and then writing in the margin, like this, this move structure would be good for this character's special move in my game or something. And I have now a stack on my desk of probably 10 to 15 PBTA games. That's the other thing. I like printing copies so that I'm not destroying an original in, if mm-hmm. if I can, because I do like collecting stuff, um, and then compiling those notes. So on my desk now, yeah, c- collection of probably a dozen PBTA games that are all noted and stickied and highlighted and that... I mean, we're all standing on the shoulders of giants in all of our game design, right? So this is being very transparent and honest with myself about that to see, here's this element from this game that I'm repurposing for this element in my game and i can physically see that yeah it's a living appendix n it's just there (laughs) in paper in front of me
1: i mean that's beautiful that is when i was first getting the inklings for torque i just found every single game that ever incorporated driving and uh read as many as seemed interesting to see just to know as much as possible about the medium
0: I did that with Necronautilus and reading space games, and a lot of them are are hard. (laughs) Yeah. Like, uh, mechanically really dense. You end up reading Traveler. I think I read, I definitely read some of Traveler and couldn't hang. Um,
1: Traveler fucks in the same way that Gamma World fucks, but in a lower case.
0: Yeah. Like, I would pick and choose, or I would read tables and not necessarily core rules. Um, and
1: that is how they wrote Traveler, too. Yeah. <laughs> he really picked and choose what they
0: were. But that helps me. I mean, Necronautilus at, at its impetus didn't have spacefaring rules. It just said when you want to go to the next planet, you do. And that's yeah. fine because my goal was one, to see as many planets as possible, but two, to have the terrestrial experience be yes, the main yeah. one of the game. But then just reading through however many other space games, I'm like, oh, this is important. That space, games space travel include is a, travel. Huge,
1: a huge genre element. I mean, that's that's a really cool lesson for like why getting familiar with the topics are so important. I know that uh, there is one game designer I will not uh, name that doesn't, if they are designing in a new genre or a particular type of game, say it's a wrestling game, um, the game in question is not a wrestling game they will not read any other wrestling game so that they can have their own take on it. And that just stuck with me as a stupendously bad idea for making art in a conversation with anything else.
0: That's the thing they, they want their seemingly want their product to exist outside of that conversation. And I think both of us really value including our games in that conversation. And again, that was the whole thing with Necronautilus presenting itself as this sort of edge case osr experience which it Mm -hmm. it is and it isn't but um the the works that inspired it inspired me and i wanted to then echo or reflect here here are the things i think are special about those and i'm building upon them in this um and what i'm doing with babes and all these other pbta games a lot of the things that i'm printing out are like brindlewood bay by jason cordova and the wretched, from Chris Bissett, um, Escape from Dino Island, these more modern PBTA takes that have really innovative stuff a- yeah. at hand, and that's what I want. This that's what I want my game to be. I don't want it to be this 2017 game that I made that was just renaming moves and like right, um, not necessarily iterating on what made pbta appealing to me in the first place
1: i mean you are filling out your research background so you can contribute to this corpus of uh like you know 300 level pbta design
0: right and research i think too a lot of the time when i think of research it is reading older things it was reading traveler tables for necronautilus but i got less out of that i mean obviously spacefaring became important and became a core thing in, in my game. But um, I learned a it lot. It can show
1: you that you don't want some busted-ass yeah. traveler to yeah, yeah. Like I have to say a word in this alien language. I want to
0: clean this up quite a bit. But I also yeah. think I got more out of comparing it to Into the Odd than I did from... So the idea of research doesn't have to be, like, historical. And games yes. obviously has a really yeah. shallow history to begin with. But... Um, like, even just using 6E as a, a building block for Necronautilus a month or two after that release, that's that's valuable research to me, and iteration. Yeah. You know what else is valuable? I, I just T-posed in my closet, at, <laughs> where I was like, that's the that's the end. I think my my computer programming just shorted. <laughs> let's, let's
1: both t for this outro <laughs> you know what else is valuable following adam and i on twitter.com and buying our games um babes is coming to kickstarter in january torque is coming to Kickstarter in february and cyber metal is coming to kickstarter in
0: hopefully may
1: may around may i um, still in t uh, you should follow us on socials you should rate and review this episode of the brain trust podcast next week we're gonna um record a episode 0.1 or whatever where we re-explain the idea of this podcast to get more people uh, kind of acclimated to this idea that we can talk for one hour and it's <laughs> worth listening to
0: i mean I-, I listened to this music podcast the other day and it was very clear that the two hosts had like running inside joke kind of energy that uh this was the first episode of theirs i'd listened to and i immediately felt excluded uh Mm. or just like i'm not going to listen to your whole library to see if i get this joke so like let's go and so yeah we're a little
1: bit too funny to do stuff like
0: that there's 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 (laughs) (laughs) there's formatting stuff that i think we've built on and are aware of um just like how the show kind of has this natural arc now that we never really planned for, but is emergent. I mean, I think just evaluating what we're doing, how we got here and what we want to do. It's not just valuable for the idea that there will be new people, which is, uh, you know, a hope, but not, not promised. Um, I think it'll be valuable for us too to just be like, okay, cool. Like we're good. We're on the course that we want to be on.
1: Yeah. Here's like what, it's our 2021 report to the stockholders.
0: <laughs> uh, where can people find you online? I am on Twitter at WC Game Co. I'm uh, on Patreon, WorldChamp Game Co. And WorldChamp Game Co. on itch. WorldChamp.io is my website where my store is.
1: That's beautiful. The whole array of domains, URLs, (laughs) usernames, handles. I'm Will. I'm at Will.com. You can find me online on Twitter. Um, It's in the show notes. You know, I say something sarcastic here about writing Wills, but yeah. Uh, And the final thing we say is brain emoji, handshake emoji.